0: Welcome to another edition of Raider Golf. Coming up on the show, we have a long chat with 2008 Masters winner, International President's Cup captain, and one of the nicest guys in golf, Trevor Immelman. And we visit one of the most prestigious courses in South Africa, Royal Johannesburg and Kensington Golf Club, with their award winning GM, Chris Bentley. Welcome to Raider Golf. Welcome to another episode of Raider Golf, great to have you on board, the Masters, the Majors, US Open, PGA Championship and the Open all done and dusted for another year. It means that, uh, yeah, we've got to wait until 2022 before we see all of our players and beyond uh, try and capture another major title. Louis Ursason coming oh so close again. Uh, But unfortunately, it was not to be for the South African, uh, as he fell just short at the end again, unable to add to his one and only major triumph, which took place back in 2010. But uh, I'm convinced that he will go on to do it uh, again. And I know my esteemed colleague Tyron is just as convinced. Uh, I loved one of the tweets that was put out by Justin Rose, Ty. Uh, during uh, the fourth and final major, the Open, taking place at Royal St George's, where he said, "Death, taxes, and Louis Oosthuizen in the running again in a
1: major." Yeah, Derek, I was going to say, I think maybe leaving a little bit more than you. I, uh, I think Louis is going to win something big, very, very soon. Um, and you know, he's just his all round game has been nothing short of sensational over the past year. Uh, yeah so close not close enough maybe it's the fedex cup maybe it's one of the gr- majors next year maybe it's an influential role in the president's cup but whatever it is louis is going to be the man that does it for himself but also for south africa because we know that's exactly what south africans do
0: yep unfortunately they couldn't quite do it though over in tokyo all well, the men's that is uh the olympic golf tournament taking place congratulations to the victor zander Shafeli. unfortunately christian besaid note and gary kicker unable to capture uh, any of the three medals on offer but a very good performance from the american and a very good performance from a south african-born player uh, who went on to capture silver in rory sabatini and if he had won gold of course Ty, it would have made him the second south african-born player in as many olympics to, to capture gold
1: yeah, just neither one doing it for South Africa, so we'll have to sort that out. Uh, we might have a few too many South African golfers taking on a different nationality just to to secure themselves some medal going forward if, if we keep this run going up.
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, they almost need to, given the fact that uh, South Africans are, are dominating matters uh, as far as leaderboards are concerned all over the world, and it's been one of the highlights that we've seen uh, looking back at the last couple of majors and not just those, but uh, looking at, at events on, on the European Tour and, and the PGA, is that uh, you look at the top half of the leaderboard, one down to, say, 10, 15, 20, the amount of SA flags you see on the left-hand side.
1: Yeah, Derek, it's been a good year. And, you know, we, we're talking professionals on the PGA, we're talking on the European Tour. But, you know, we've got a lot of good guys playing here at the Sunshine Tour that are also doing incredible jobs listen, we, we interviewed Christian Burke the other day after he's 56. That kid is Hmm. on fire. He's won three Bushfeld tours. He's won, he won his first IGT tour. Now he uh, is leading another IGT tour event. Now he, I mean, that guy, that guy's on fire. So we're talking Wilco Ninaba, we're talking Casey Jarvis, Jaden Shaper, but I think Christian Burke has basically uh, smashed himself into that conversation. And, uh, Yeah, I think uh, the thing that's probably made him mentally get over the line is that he appeared on Raider Golf.
0: I I was going to say, there's uh, a little shimmering light out there for for young professionals or amateurs that are listening to this. Christian Burke came on the show and the very next day won a tournament and since then he's won even more. So that certainly uh, spurred him on. We'd like to think so. It's certainly no coincidence that his appearance on Raider Golf, his first appearance on Raider Golf led to him winning a a couple of tournaments. Uh, any golf that you played over the last couple of weeks? Si and I've been begging you to join me, Fortunately, you missed out a, a couple of couple of rounds, but uh, we did have a great time out at State Mines.
1: Yeah, look, I uh, my uh, day job. I'm in my financial year end, and uh, I, I don't just cook the books; I actually create the books. So I have to uh, have to be there. Uh, so I haven't managed to play as much as I'd like to uh, in the past few weeks. But uh, as I'll talk about it a bit later, I did get around at Royal Johannesburg on the West course. Um, I did get there, Derek, and, and uh, <laughs> not the first time this has happened, but I was running late um, and I got there and I ran to the first tee, obviously carrying bags, uh, you know, pulled out my, my three wood tee off, uh, hooked it about 12 meters to the left, I hit a nice second, nice third onto the green, get onto the green. Now I'm playing with guys that I don't actually know. I'm like, yes, they must think I'm the most disorganized like ever. Go to my bag, grab my putter, except my putter not there because my wife has decided she likes my putter more than me. Um, and so she took it out of my bag and put it in hers. Uh, so, you know, when you don't know someone, I think she's okay. I'm just going to putt with my three wood. The oaks all give me weird looks. Uh, I three putts and pick up for a ring. And they were looking at me and they're like, you can use our putters. But now, like, I don't know the guys. Now I've got to be sharing putters. It was quite an experience. Uh, not a great round. Uh, I think I shot a 94, 95. Um, but I had a, a superb round with my own putter at State Minds. Really good round of golf. Enjoyed it. Hitting a nice driver, And just once again, it's just one of those courses that um, good shots get rewarded.
0: Yeah, so I didn't have many rewards, in other words. (laughs) Now, funny enough, I did. I actually really enjoyed my time out at State Mines, uh, as I always do. And, you know, we saw videos going out and about of how cold it was in Johannesburg recently. And we experienced that at State Mines. We teed off at, I think, about 8 o'clock. Initially, it was 7 o'clock. And uh, Kevin, the GM, gave me a call uh, the day before we were teeing off. And he said, listen, just had some guys uh, pull out because of how cold it is. Do you mind uh, teeing off at 8? Or would you like to? And, I mean, it was... uh, no brainer, and uh, I told you, uh, you jumped into light, But uh, I think that was a response from everyone. And we went out, on the course, it wasn't too bad actually. I, I quite enjoyed it. But uh, I think it was the second hole, and you got the water surrounding the green. And uh, we walked past, and, and funny enough, it was at par three, and and we hit it long, and it we didn't see a splash, and it definitely went in the water though, and uh, went up to go look, and and then we realised why there's no sma- uh, splash because the the water was frozen over. I had to take my iron. And probably give it a good couple of whacks before I manage to actually break through all the ice. That's how, how cold it was. But, uh, yeah, great time out at State Mines, which, of course, was our course of the episode in the last episode. And uh, you mentioned, and Derek, yeah?
1: just before you move on, uh, you also got to play a, a really nice course through in Pretoria, one that I've not played, and you had a, a pretty decent round there.
0: Yes. Uh, what was it? Wo- uh, Woodlands. Uh, I forget. I always forget the name of it. I think it's Woodlands. Woodlands. Uh, Wood, Woodview, Woodhill, Woodhill, Woodhill. That was Hill. it? Woodhill, that's the one. Uh, Woodhill, really, really nice course. Thanks to Big Wes Bradfield for arranging that. Uh, we had a great day out in the courses. Some tremendous courses out in Victoria. And uh, I mean, we keep on saying the words hidden gems. And, and it really does apply to, to most places, actually. But uh, a brilliant time out there. And uh, where else did I play? Uh, We had, uh, as always, around at Serengeti, we played Whistling Thorn, myself, Richard Masbro, Brad Brown and uh, Murray White. And in the middle there's somewhere a terrific outing over at the East Course at Royal Johannesburg, myself and Henk, which we'll speak about later in the show because that is our course of the episode and what a course it is. But first, up front, a man who needs no introduction, but it is one of the legends of South African golf, Trevor Immelman.
2: Hey there, this is Brian McFadden, uh, Irish singer, songwriter, and more importantly, avid golfer. And you're listening to Raider Golf with Derek and Ty.
0: Thank you very much, Brian McFadden, the man from Westlife, or formerly from Westlife, gone on to bigger and better things and uh, a massive golf fan. I'll tell you what... uh, I'm a massive fan of our next guest, arguably the biggest one that we've had on the show, Ty. It was a couple of days ago, I was playing golf with Richard Masbro, friend of the show, and uh, we were playing at Serengeti, of course, the home of Raider Golf. And I told him who I'd be speaking to, or you and I would be speaking to, and his face absolutely glowed. He said, you're in for a real treat because he's one of the best men in the golfing world, especially
1: when it comes to interviews. And uh, if that's Richard Maspero's opinion, then it is an opinion we value very highly. And I don't think he's wrong at all.
0: I agree entirely. Let's get straight into it. Uh, He is a Masters winner, doing so back in 2008. Uh, He has uh, won all over the planet. He's gone on to be a renowned commentator. And he'll also be captaining the international team at next year's President's Cup. Welcome to the show, Trevor Immelman.
2: Hey guys, how's it going? It's uh, great to join you guys. I must say that's that's quite the intro there. I, I need to take you guys with me uh, all over the world to just you know get everybody ready when I arrive somewhere.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, I agree.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was uh, that was great. But yeah, great to join you guys. Always awesome to uh, to speak to some fellow South Africans.
0: Yeah, it really is great to have you on the show. And I know we've been trying for, for a couple of weeks now, and you're a very busy man, but uh, I was so keen to to see how keen you were to, to get on the show. And uh, you are the second major winner that we've had on the show, following uh, in the footsteps of Michael Campbell, who we chatted to a couple of weeks ago in uh, previewing the US Open. But Trevor, we chat to you now uh, on uh, the, the tail end of the Olympic Games with the men's competition mm. having just wrapped up. Did you enjoy watching that Xander uh, Shafeli going on to to capture the gold medal? Nice to see golf over in Japan uh, doing so well.
2: Yeah, I actually did uh, did enjoy it. You know, I think for those of us that have been golf fans for for a long time, it still feels just a little weird to have golf in the Olympics. You know, it's still trying to find its feet here. This is the second time it's being played in the Olympics, and. And uh, we're trying to get used to the format and should the format stay the same? Should it be more of a team event? And uh, and so still in its infancy, so to speak, from that standpoint. Uh, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it, uh, seeing, uh, you know, all my friends from all these different countries all over the world represent uh, where they're from. And I thought that was a lot of fun to see. There's something definitely special about representing your country. Uh, it just lights a kind of a fire inside of you that's really hard to even explain. And so that was a lot of fun. And over here in the U.S., I live in Florida, or I've been in Florida this week. And um, so the golf was coming on kind of in what they would call prime time here, so from like 7 p.m. at night. So it was nice. You could do whatever you wanted to do during the daytime, and then after dinner, you could settle in and, and watch the golf. So that was Kind of cool for uh, my family and I, my son and I, to to sit down and watch all the guys play. And what an exciting finish there with the playoff for the bronze medal. Um, You know, I wasn't just rooting for the South African guys we had over there, but all the international players as the uh, President's Cup captain. So nice to see CT come through in that uh, playoff for the bronze medal as well.
1: Yeah, Trev, obviously in 2003, we throw way back, but you won the World Cup of Golf for South Africa with Mm. Rory Sabatini, Mm. um, who is, of course, now an Olympic silver medalist for Slovakia. Mm. Um, Must be a a bit of a weird one watching him represent uh, Slovakia as his country. Yeah,
2: look, it's a little different. uh, You know, I think he explained exactly how and why uh, that all came about. Um, with his wife and uh, wanting to find a way to grow the game over there. Uh, and so, you know, kudos to him. I mean, he did it. He went out there and played fantastically well. I've known I've known Sabo since we were teenagers uh, playing junior golf down in South Africa. And the guy has been a great golfer for many, many years. And he has been on the PGA Tour for more than 20 years, just absolutely crushing it over here. Uh, five or six wins, I believe. And if you look at the all-time money list, I believe he's in the top 30 all-time on the PGA Tour. So he's been a great player for a long time. Anytime he plays well, even now in his mid-40s, anytime he plays well, I'm I'm never surprised. I mean, the guy is very, very talented, hell of a competitor. And, you know, even that putt that he made on the last hole, that, that's, that to me is how I know Sabo ever since we were kids you know, when there was a putt on one of the last few holes that had to be made, uh, he generally would make it. He has unbelievable timing for the moment uh, and, and being able to achieve when when uh, the moment's at its biggest. And so, uh, yeah, I got a little smile on my face when he made that putt. I mean, that, that was just him in a nutshell. So uh, happy for him that he went out there and, and played so well and, and now, late in his career, the guy's got a, a silver medal to, to show off. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah. And and you brought it up originally, uh, you know, maybe should the Olympics be a team event? Uh, because, unfortunately, we, we see the Olympics is played by a number of top players pulling out for various reasons. We saw South Africa's own Ashley Buhay pull out uh, mm. due to the fact that, you know, any, any illness or anything, she wasn't covered with her sponsors. Um, so, yeah, I mean... <laughs> What what would for you, Trev? What what for you, keeping Olympic uh, golf at the Olympics? What would be the best format in your opinion?
2: Gosh, I uh, I haven't really thought about it uh, too much, uh, but you know, as we as we throw it around here, it, it's just been a little weird. The, the The start that Olympic golf has gotten off to has been a bit rocky. If you think back, they had the Zika issue that made a few guys not want to go down to uh, Rio. Uh, they've now got the coronavirus that the whole world has been dealing with for over a year now that um, probably and possibly caused some, some withdrawals uh, from the men's and women's competition this time. So it's been a, a tough sledding here in the first couple of times. Hopefully by the time they get to Paris, it'll all be open and, and people can just go without any worries, just go to compete, um, which is what we all love to watch. Uh But as far as the format goes, you know, should there be some kind of team element? Should it be two players' best ball? Should it be two players combined the score? Should it be a men's and a women's player competing together for their country? There's so many variables. You know, another one that that you could do is you could have, uh, let's call it like make up a number 36 holes uh, stroke play or 54 holes stroke play. 54 might be a bit long. 36 holes stroke play. And then take, a certain amount of players, uh, let's call it the top eight, that then go through to match play and they compete in match play for the medals. Uh, there, there could be a lot of different ways to do it. Um, and by the way, you know, we could also keep it the same. If you look at the, the gold medal winners in the last couple of Olympiads, Justin Rose and Xander Shuffley, nobody's really complaining about uh, their standing in the game, the quality of their play. I mean, those are two world-class players when they won those events. So maybe there's nothing wrong. Maybe we just need to finally get to an Olympics uh, where there's not some kind of virus that uh, all the athletes are concerned about and and the people in the host nation are concerned about. So maybe it's just that. But uh, there's no doubt that uh, there, there's, there definitely is something special about it. I think we all just need a little more time to get used to having golf in the Olympics. But uh, I, I certainly have enjoyed it uh, in Rio, enjoyed watching it in Rio and now in Tokyo.
0: Yeah, this is going to segue nicely into to my next question and, and we move on to, to your achievements. But, you know, I had an interesting conversation on the course with Richard and uh, a friend of ours, Brad Brown, who's a fairly well-known broadcaster, and he's done a hell of a lot in the triathlon space, so he loves mm-hmm. the Olympics from the track and field point of view, and and we're playing and we're debating whether golf should be an Olympic sport. I mean, this debate's been uh, as old as the hills, and it applies to many many sports. And I, mm. I'm I'm of the opinion, and I've heard it bandied about quite a few times, so I, I didn't create this, but I, I like the the ethos is that if a, a gold medal is the highest achievement in your respective sport, then then it should be an an uh, Olympic sport. And then Brad said, oh, great, well, then, then golf should be in. So I said, no, hold on a sec, because the majors is, is what you want to achieve in golf. He goes, no, but mm-hmm. I would I would rather want to achieve a gold medal. So I said, yeah, but you're a, a triathlete, so it makes sense. But, you know, yeah. as a golfer, I would rather have a green jacket. And and I'm speaking to someone who owns a green jacket. And, of course, <laughs> uh, the, the Olympics, well, it wasn't around when you you were playing. But have you got that sense from other players, you know, a gold medal is uh, – because from a fan's perspective, that's how we perceive it, in that – Cool. It's nice yeah. to have that gold medal for for Justin and Alzander, but it is the big four that everyone aims for, and and of course you've got arguably the biggest of the four.
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely a cool uh, conversational topic because um, I could easily sit on both sides of that. Mm. Uh, you know, growing up uh, in the game and and being a student of the game and really to a certain sense, idolizing the players that won major championships. You know, I'd sit sit home late late at night in Somerset West. My parents would let me stay up and watch the final nine holes of the majors. You know, as you guys know, midnight, one in the morning, sometimes even later. And uh, it was just so thrilling for me to see these champions win majors. And that's how I grew up wanting. That's what I grew up wanting to do and wanting to be a part of trying to find a way to have that opportunity to maybe pull something like that off. And uh, now with the Olympics, it may in- evolve into that. Look, time makes everything feel more special. And so with this only being uh, the second time that it's back now, uh, maybe that'll change in, in, in 20 years, 50 years, who knows? But I, one thing I will say is that I don't see the four major championships being uh, supplanted, so to speak, by, you know, Olympic medal. Winning an Olympic medal is far greater than these four. I could see it maybe at the same level or maybe right near there. Uh, But, you know, these major championships have been around for so long, such a huge part of the game, and have always been the yardstick of of career achievement that I I don't see that changing uh, anytime soon. Uh, but I sure do see the significance of winning a gold medal growing exponentially. You know, as as golf stays in the Olympics uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, I do concur, and I think we could probably uh, equate the same philosophy to the current majors in that when they started out, they were seen as relatively insignificant. And uh, as you say, time Correct. time makes things uh, a lot more prestigious uh, as it goes on. Now, done with the Olympics, let's speak about that green jacket. And and I love saying it was a wire-to-wire victory. I know officially uh, wire-to-wire is when you, don't, you aren't tied with anyone else, but mm. I don't really care because I like claiming it, the fact that we've got a South African who had a wire-to-wire victory in 2008 <laughs> at the Masters. And admittedly, I mean, you weren't one of the favourites going into it, but uh, man, oh man, what, a, what a, an amazing four days.
2: Yeah, it was incredible. Look, uh, back in those times, there was always – only ever one favorite. His name was Tiger Woods. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Uh, so, well, well it we guess, know Rory, uh, Rory
0: Sabatini, certainly. Uh, yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, you know, back, back when I was playing, it was a good and a bad thing because th- thanks to Tiger Woods, uh, you know, I was able to make a good living because he brought so much attention and sponsorship and money uh, to our sport that it just really took off like a rocket ship. And and so I'm extremely thankful to him for that. But on the flip side, from a competitor's standpoint, yeah, he just used to kick our butts every single week. So anytime you rolled up to a major for about a 15-year stretch there, uh, he was the clear-cut favorite. And a lot of times, to be quite honest, it was not really even if he was going to win, but it was by how many he was going to win. So uh, it was an interesting time as a as a, as a a competitor to try to wrap your mind around that. And at times, all you could really do was say, okay, look, I'm going to be hanging about, and if somehow uh, this guy falters, which generally doesn't happen, maybe I can pick one or two off. And then on the back of that, you have other guys that were winning multiple majors at the time, like Ernie and Vijay and uh, players like that, uh, Mickelson. So uh, it was a really interesting and exciting time in our sport. And yeah, I rolled up to, to the 08 Masters, still recovering from having the tumor removed uh, after I won the Ned Bank at the end of 07. And so, yeah, my game was um, still up in the air, really. Uh, you know, the the, the, the six-inch incision on my back where they removed the tumor was still fairly fresh, only, only uh, four or five months removed from the surgery. And uh, the weeks that I'd played leading up to that, I was uh, mentally uh, not committed enough, particularly on swings where I needed power, like off the tee or in thick rough. And so it was a, a bit of a rocky start to 08 after a great finish to 07. And uh, yeah, pitched up to Augusta, I believe I was maybe 25th or 26th in the world rankings and, uh, but I arrived there with very low expectations, knowing that I'd just come off that surgery. And, um, in a way I felt like it took a lot of pressure off me. And so, you know, did all the prep. I've always loved the, the place. I mean, just fell in love with it. in, you know, from the first time I walked on the grounds in 1999 and, uh, you know, the week just slowly but surely progressed in a positive manner. The practice rounds were okay. I was working really hard on my putting. And um, got off to a nice start. Shot shot a couple under on uh, the front nine of the tournament. I made like a, about a 30-footer across the green on the ninth hole. And it really spurred me on. And so shot, shot a, a 68 in the first day and and then things progressed from there. I always felt like I was a decent front runner. Um, I, I enjoyed being in that position um, and and so thankfully, I was able to just hang on there throughout the week and, and stay a few shots ahead of Tiger at the end.
1: Yeah, and what a great moment it was for us. Uh, I mean, I remember watching and uh, you know you, you just kind of expect. As much as, as we had massive faith in you, we were expecting uh, that Tiger charge to emerge and and completely as, as Tiger does um, with the crowd behind him. But as you say, you managed to hold on. Uh, you finished two strokes ahead of him. Uh, was it two, three strokes ahead of him? Three strokes ahead three. of him? Three. Yeah, I mean, he shot an even par final round. It's, and like you say, you'd done it before. I mean, you'd won the SA Open. You had... Uh, won the uh, uh ned bank challenge just the year before obviously with uh, your your surgeries and stuff it was tough but at what point on that sunday um did you feel like okay job is done
2: well it was a it was an interesting day there was a big um, a big storm that came through the afternoon before and we were actually delayed on the saturday by a couple hours and and then we, we had the tail end of that on the Sunday and was, it was clear skies, but extremely windy. There were gusts up to 30 miles an hour, which on that golf course just uh, it makes it brutal because you have so little space to work with on your second, your approach shots, trying to fit it into these little plateaus on the greens that uh, that amount of wind really does cause a lot of havoc. So I think that played to my advantage. You know, there were only a, a two or three guys that broke par on that Sunday um so tiger 72 was one of the better scores on the day and uh i think that played to my advantage growing up you know in cape town being used to playing in in the wind learning how to play in the wind and really keep the ball flight down uh and control uh how far the ball flies so that was something that worked um but yeah it was it was brutally difficult and i remember I made a good up and down on the ninth hole and um, was out in front and just knew I had to try and find a way to hang on. And on, the, on, the, on 11, there was a big backup on the tee because the number of guys had hit it in the water on 12. And uh, so the, the final group, we were on the tee. The group in front of us was in the fairway, and then Tiger's group was on the green at eleven. And he made like a 50-footer across the green. And the, the patrons just went absolutely wild. And that noise just shuttled all the way up the 11th fairway and just smashed us in the face on the 11th tee. And that was like a, a cool wake-up call for me because it was, it was easily recognizable that that was, that was Tiger that had done something special. And uh, in in a certain way, it kind of sobered me up and allowed me to refocus while we had a few minutes waiting on the tee. Um, but whenever you play Augusta, you when you when you get through 13 or even 12, you know, 10, 9, 10, 11, 12 is a really tough stretch. And then 13, if you hit a good tee shot, you can make a birdie or an eagle. But once you get through there, things start to calm down a little bit as there's less water. Then you've got... You know, you've got 15 and then 17 and 18. Um, You can make bogeys for sure, but you're probably not going to lose a golf ball. So you're always just chunking off pieces of the golf course like that to try and figure out what the strategy is, how aggressive you want to be, where the whole locations are. And I wasn't uh, looking at leaderboards to really figure out how many I was ahead by. I could feel from the crowd that I was still leading and so I was just trying to manage all of that, and also with with the conditions being as, as tough as they were, I knew that birdies weren't that easy to come by, very different to a lot of masters we've all watched, you know, guys are shooting 31, 32, 33 on the back nine and storming storming into the clubhouse with a couple of eagles on 13 or 15, you know, that, that wasn't going to happen on that day because the course was just way too difficult in those conditions, so I knew that I could just kind of grind out some pars and, and keep my nose in front. And uh, made par on 17, and, and there's quite a long walk off the back of 17, probably about a 50-meter walk to uh, the back of the T on 18. And just tons of people and walking through like, like an alleyway that they had formed to get to 18. And, you know, people shouting, well done, and patting me on the back. And I could hear South African accents um and, the, and their excitement. And so I knew I was leading once again. It was like um confirmation that I was leading. And at that point, I was like, okay, you just got to just, you know, how, how are you going to hit this fairway? What can you do to, to guarantee that you hit this fairway? And, and, and just take this thing one shot at a time and peel off a par and then you should be good. And hit a great tee shot. Maybe, maybe my best tee shot of the week right down the middle. And uh, once I got my second shot onto the green and knew that it was down in that little bowl there that we're so used to seeing that Sunday hole location. Uh, asked my caddy, uh, Neil Wallace, how we were doing. And he was like, wow, you're, you're three ahead, man. It's all over. So uh, that was probably the moment to answer your question that I knew it was over. I uh, didn't didn't let my guard down really for the whole tournament until that moment. And and once he gave me that information, it was it was kind of cool. They, they, I absolutely felt relief. I felt a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. I mean, you know, I was 28 when I won, and started the game when I was five. And it's it's all I ever wanted to do was was win a major championship. And it, I had really you know like you see with with so many of these olympic athletes in in uh you know i don't i'll call it smaller sports i you, you guys will understand what i mean um but but sports that aren't on tv all the time you see and understand and read about the the dedication that they show for this one shot at getting an olympic medal you know every 4 years uh, and you, you, you clearly understand the pressure they're under and the sacrifices they've made and what it means to them. You see their reactions in defeat and in winning, and it just it hits you so hard, uh, the, the effort that they've put in. And in a certain way, that's how I felt. I, you know, I, I felt like I dedicated my life to, to to achieving something like that, winning a major. And so for me to be three ahead, and be able to walk up that 18th fairway, like I'd watched so many times uh, in, in years past. I watched my first Masters on TV in 1986 when when Jack won his sixth green jacket. You know, for me to walk up the 18th and and really come out of uh, the zone, so to speak, and lift my head and my eyes and actually start to focus on people in the crowd and and hear what they were saying and hear the applause and see my family standing behind the green that was something that that I'm really grateful if I if I had to for instance if I had a one shot lead and I knew I had to two putt that moment would have played out so differently because I would have totally been blocking everything out trying to just hold it together for another you know 3 or 4 minutes trying to find a way to two putt from 15 feet so uh, that That was really the moment that that I knew that that I had achieved that and and then it was just so cool to to climb your way up the hill there onto the eighteenth green and and really pay attention to everybody around and and enjoy that few minutes without having to worry about uh making a putt so yeah that that was really the only moment that that it hit me and then after that. It was just just a whirlwind for, you know, the rest of that evening and, and a couple more days doing a bunch of media.
1: So one of the other great, great things about the Masters, I mean, obviously there's so many and we could we could spend three hours just saying what's great about the Masters. But one mm-hmm. of the great things about the Masters is when you are a champion, you get to host the Champions Dinner. So I've got two questions for you. Mm-hmm. The first is uh, your menu, and I've got a chair in front of me, was Roberti, um Society, spinach salad, milk tarts, and South African wines. I mean, mm-hmm. that is quintessentially a perfect South African dinner. Mm-hmm. So the first part of the question is, how quick was it to decide? The second mm-hmm. is, since you've joined the list of champions, which has been your favorite champions dinner?
2: Yeah, the first first, first part was, it took me a little while. It, uh, I wanted to make sure that it, it had a distinct South African feel to it um you know for a number of reasons number one obviously very proud of of where i come from and number two it had been 30 years since we had had a south african champion and the last last south african winner was gary player in 1978 and so i felt like it was overdue for us to have uh, you know some some south african cuisine in there so i thought long and hard about it obviously the the, the easy choice would have been a braai, but uh, I thought it could be, it could feel too much like, you know, what Americans would call a barbecue or a Texas barbecue or um, uh, that kind of feel to it. So I wanted to go with something a little bit uh, different. Um, and it, it, it came off really well. We worked really hard with the chefs at Augusta National to get it uh, dialed in perfectly. My wife did an amazing job. Um, with the baburti, um, helping them out with that and and the milk tart, and everybody loved it you know i i I distinctly remember uh, Jack Nicholas coming up to me after the dinner, and you know he 's made a lot of trips to South Africa, he absolutely loves South Africa, and he was like, "Oh man, that milk tart was amazing, just how you know just how I remember it from from when I traveled to South Africa and <laughs> things like that uh, just felt so good. Um, had had uh, biltong and voice you know, for the appetizers for the guys uh, when they arrived for cocktails, and uh, the players just loved it. And so that was a proud moment for me, uh, especially when Gary stood up and spoke and introduced me. Um, you know, he's somebody that that all of us have looked up to for a long time, uh, as you know, still what I think is is our greatest athlete that we've produced ever from South Africa. So. Uh, that That was just an amazing evening that I will never ever forget, and so fortunate to be able to go back every year after that and and feel that same emotion and preparation and pride from uh whoever is the defending champion and there 's been a number of great ones i mean look they 're all great it's, the scale goes from uh amazing to great so there 's like it 's not like there 's any bad ones so Uh, But if I picked out a few that that have really stood out to me, um, the the last year Arnold Palmer was at the dinner, was incredible. Uh, He got up and spoke and was very emotional for everybody. Uh, He was in tears. And you kind of got a a feeling that there was something uh, that he felt so strongly that that would be his last champion's dinner. And uh, he turned out to be correct, uh, unfortunately, for for all of us golf fans. But that was uh, a real uh, uh, like, transcendent experience to be sitting just a few meters away from this legend of the game and feel how how he felt about uh, being a Masters champion, about being uh, an ambassador for the sport, and telling us how much it's meant to him and how we need to continue that legacy. And so it was uh, it was quite surreal. And uh, then Adam Scott did an amazing job when he did the dinner, uh, had some awesome Australian wines, Penfolds Grange from the 90s, and did like a surf and turf from Australia, which was great. Uh, a few years ago when Tiger was defending champion, that was quite something uh, his speech was also very emotional he was he He was in tears recounting how uh, you know after the accidents and everything he had been through with his knee, he wondered there were times whether he wondered whether he would ever play again and so for him to then win his fifth green jacket against you know all the current best players at that time. When he won in 2019, you could you could absolutely feel uh, the emotion and the relief and the joy in that moment from him so yeah there, there's been a bunch of um, amazing moments in that room with uh, with that group of champions there's always a, there's always a time during the dinner from start to finish. We're at about uh two and a half hours. For the dinner and there's always a moment in there where i just kind of sit back in my chair and look around and go like i mean how on earth has this you know little kid from sunset west made his way into this room so it's 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 uh it's very very special something that i look forward to uh you know count it's like it's like a, a kid counting down to christmas it's uh you know that's how i look forward to that dinner uh every april
0: Yeah, there's no question it's one of the most exclusive clubs in the world, being a a Masters winner. And I don't mean that in terms of the difficulty it is to achieve it. I mean it in terms of how exclusive they do make you feel because you've got the Champions Dinner, you've got the Champions Locker Room, uh, you get a permanent Mm. invite to to return to Augusta. That must be incredibly special. And you spoke about the dinner, of course, but uh, being in that locker room... uh, when you awarded the green jacket uh, in Butler's Cabin, uh, also uh, uh, a ceremony exclusively uh, given to, to the Masters. And there's so many things that make you feel like, well, you've done something over the course of four days that will change your life forever, and we're going to make mm. sure that you realize how life-changing this is for the rest of your life.
2: Yeah, that's, that's, that's beautifully put. That, that's exactly how it is, and that's exactly how you feel. Um, you know, even though the master's only been around since 1934, it it is incredible the traditions that they've been able to establish in a relatively short period of time. And uh, those are, you know, just some of the few that you mentioned there that, uh, that you can feel the magnitude and the weight of as you're going through it. And uh, for me now, being uh, removed by more than a decade from, from when I won, uh, going back is still such a thrill. Uh, you know, as you drive down Magnolia Lane, you you, you recount and remember and reminisce uh, about, you know, all the times you've been there. The first time I went in, in 1999 playing as an amateur, it's just, uh, you know, a, a, an 18-year-old kid, it uh, was just, Something that really wet my appetite for what I wanted to continue to to work on and improve to try and get back there as a professional and now uh, now going uh, with a fifteen year old son and a ten and a year old daughter and and seeing it through their eyes, uh, especially um, you know my son who's an avid golfer, so he follows golf closely and, and understands those traditions and uh, the the, the the magnitude of the event so seeing seeing the excitement through his eyes and when he sees pictures of me around the clubhouse or you know when when we're on the course and and he's like oh remember that shot you hit here and so that is now it's special in a totally different way understanding uh, their appreciation of it and so it just it's kind of like a gift that keeps on giving it, it's an incredible place that just continues to get better and better and better, uh, the improvements they make the the things that they think of uh, at augusta national is just they always set the standard, and I think they set the standard not only in in our sport of golf but for all other sports to to mimic and copy you know you you look at the the app that they launched a few years ago and how all of a sudden. You know it didn't matter where you were in the world you could watch every every single shot of Mm. every single player off of this app i mean it's just fantastic and so the way that they find a way to hold those traditions that you mentioned that are so dear to all of us who, who love the masters they still in other areas find ways to to push the envelope and and include technology and make the experience even better for fans all over the world so yeah, it's it's fantastic. I I can't wait to see where they continue to go because you know that's the one thing I I know about everybody at Augusta National is is they they want to keep pushing and and make it bigger and better. And so yeah, it's uh, going to be a lot of fun to see how that unfolds um, over the next period of time, and and hopefully we can get uh, some more South Africans into into that Champions locker room, and we've got a whole host of of players that uh, are doing really well all over the world and and who knows all of these guys are, are are equipped to get it done so hopefully it happens soon
0: well your win of course kicked off uh, an amazing run for south africans when it came to the majors because two years later we had louis ursaison winning the open at st andrews in, in 2010 mm. a year after him his good friend charles schwatzel uh, replicating what you did and, and winning the green jacket a year after mm. that ernie Els coming back uh, following the somewhat capitulation of Adam Scott for Ernie to, to capture his second Open title. And, but since mm. then, it's it's been an absolute famine. So from Feast, mm. we, we've now gone to nothing. And, and of course, Louis has threatened time and time and again. And I mean, South Africans, we all know the devastation we've endured over the last two years, staying up till two, three in the morning and uh, just hoping Louis can get past the T2. And unfortunately, yeah. it, it hasn't been the case. Do you, do you think that, that waiting will end sooner rather than later for another South African major winner? Because as we speak now, it's been nine years.
2: You know, I really do. I think, I think golf in South Africa is in a... And particularly at, at the professional level, is in a great spot. You know, we have nine guys in the top 100 in the world ranking right now. And for such a small country, that really is quite fantastic. Uh, I think the work that the um, the uh, de- development board has done down there with, with what Johan Rupert has done, setting that foundation, the work of um, Grant Hepburn, we really have started to see uh, the talent really start to get churned out of South Africa. And you take a look at what Higo has done in in this last year as a guy in his early 20s winning in Europe a number of times and then here on the PGA Tour i, I think it's just a matter of time uh, as these guys start to get a touch more experience i'm talking about the youngsters and then i would switch uh, you know there's a kid there's a kid in south africa called jaden shaper that i i mean i'm a huge fan of he he played uh, in the junior president's cup that i captained with higger and right now, he's kind of fighting his way there on the challenge tour and, and, and still trying to make his mark. But he's the type of player that I think, if, if managed correctly and, and if he makes the right decisions, could become a real force in the game as he just sharpens his skill a little bit more over the years. Um, and, you know, we've seen what Higo can do. Uh, Wilko Ninaba is just a fantastic talent. With the distance that he hits the ball, with his demeanor, um, really a huge fan of his as well. I've been excited to see him play uh, more here in the U.S. Starting to gain that experience. Definitely somebody that uh, I also have my eye on for the Presidents' Cup, with uh, the amount of raw talent that he has. I think he could step up and win a big tournament at any moment. Um, so that's the youngsters, and then we go back to you know some of the older guys in in uh, Louis and Shaw and Brandon Grace. We've got Beseda note as well. Who's been Chuck's this guy. He hasn't missed a cut all year. And I know that might sound. Okay. Well, how good is that? Let me tell you with, with the, the, the depth of professional golf right now and how good players are right now to not miss a cut all season. It is unbelievable. I mean, uh, you look at the other top golfers: Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Morikawa, all these guys that are household names. They've missed cuts this season. We've got a guy in 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 Christian that ha- that hasn't, and he just always puts himself there. So the fact that he gets so many chances on the weekends, it's only a matter of time before he throws a 65 or a 64 at it on Saturday or Sunday, and then has a chance to win. So uh, that's some of the youngsters. And then Louis and Shaw. Uh, the golf Louis has played to be able to get back into the top 10 in the world. It's impressive, you know, it's impressive. And I've spoken to him a number of times Um, and you can feel you, it's tough, it's tough because how do you, 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 you call someone to tell them well done and, you know, how proud you are of them, but you can feel the disappointment in his voice and when I see him, you can you can sense the disappointment in his demeanor because he wants to win so bad. And he wants to win so bad for himself and for his own family. But, you know, like you say, also for all South Africans uh, back home that he knows are, are, are staying up till all hours of the morning uh, trying to cheer him on. And so it's a tough spot for him. Uh, I hope, I hope uh, people aren't too tough on him back home. I mean, this guy is... He he epitomizes the word world-class on and off the golf course. Just a fantastic human being who is so uh, gifted and uh, unfortunately is is on a run right now where he's just coming up a touch shy. But the way that he's playing, and in particular the way he's been putting for the last 12 to 18 months, I I think it's going to happen any tournament now. Where where he gets gets a win, uh, whether whether that is is in a major championship or not, I don't know, uh, but I see a win coming really soon for him. And Schwarz's all the same. He's also slowly but surely starting to gain confidence. Uh, you can feel it uh, when you speak to him. I can see it when I watch him swing. When I watch him drive the ball, he's hitting it an absolute mile off the tee. And uh, he had another great finish, uh, type of second, I believe, at the 3M a few weeks ago. And so he's also stoned around into form. And, you know, those are the two players that are not yet 40 years old. Uh, they they have the experience of winning a major championship. They they exude a, a type of calmness in the fact that they've been there before. Uh, they 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 command respect from the other top players because they've, they've achieved at the highest level. So, you know, those are the natural guys you look at to break through, uh, but you just never quite know in the game of golf. Uh, one of these youngsters can can jump up and get something done any moment. we are, we got so much uh, natural hand-eye coordination, natural sporting ability in South Africa. I don't know what it is. I've thought about it and tried to figure it out for many years, but in all sports, in all disciplines, it's uh, it's just magnificent to see uh, how naturally gifted uh, the athletes are that, that come from, you know, that, that little corner of Africa where we're all from.
1: Yeah, trevor uh, one of the things you did bring up there was the President's Cup. Of course, you will be uh, the captain of the next edition. We saw in the most recent in 2019 in Melbourne that Ernie really galvanized the team you really seem to get the hope back in and bring the competitiveness in because it's been a little bit one-way traffic.
2: Mm-hmm. You also
1: know that you are likely to be up against it. I mean, if we look at the top 20 in the world, um, you know, it, we, we've got the top 20 in the world. Most of them are Americans.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, in terms of your international team, it's only Becky and Louis currently in the top 20 in the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it is a tough challenge. Yeah. Um, but uh, are you are you uh, enthused by the performance of the team in 2019? Have you chatted with with Ernie and Gary and and all of that to to really take the opportunity to um, to go and and uh, for lack of better words, uh, g- hear the Americans are blixum. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, look that. Uh- answer is yes. I, I'm, I, I am so excited about the opportunity. 2019 was huge for us and, and Ernie, in my opinion, was the best captain we've ever had a, as the international team uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, just his size and presence, uh, a, 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 as you guys know, was, was something that gave our youngsters confidence. Uh, because when, when Ernie walks into a room, you you feel it. Uh, you feel uh, he, he has a type of an aura about him that great athletes and successful people have. And so that was something that all of our youngsters could draw on. You know, We were the, the youngest team ever in the history of the President's Cup. Uh, we had seven rookies out of the 12 players. And so that was something that these young guys could really draw on. And he he did bring the spirit back into our team and uh, gave us a certain sense of belief that maybe we could cause an upset because you're, you're 100% correct. It's a, it's a giant mountain to climb. When you look at 2019, the average world ranking on the American team was 12 and a half and the average on our team was 42 and a half. So that tells the story on paper right there. But Uh, We feel like now, through all the work that Ernie did and uh, the assistant captains did leading up to 2019, we feel like we have a a platform from which to build, and we have a system that we believe in, and we 100% understand that uh, the the team camaraderie and that that spirit that you speak of is something that needs to be um, expanded upon, and so that you know that that's what we need to do. It's a huge challenge for us. We had eight different regions of the world represented in that team in Australia. So, I mean, shucks, you can only just imagine what our our, our buffet dinner line looks like. You know, we're looking we're looking after players from China and Japan and. Um, all the way to Canada and Chile and Mexico and South Africa and Australia. And so we are casting such a wide net um, over over countries and r- regions all over that the cultures are so different. And so that's a huge hurdle for us to overcome. We feel like we we've started the process and we have a, a plan to continue to do that and i think if we do that we we can cause an upset i mean we we proved it the last time now we fell short on that sunday and i still believe that we we should have got it done with the lead that we had throughout the week but it wasn't meant to be and and we we learned from the mistakes that we made on that sunday and um i think we'll we'll have a good shot it's going to be a total different challenge from a standpoint of playing here in america Uh, the international team, the one time they, they won was down in Australia. The one time they tied was in South Africa. Never, uh, we we came close a couple of times here in the U S, but have never won here in the U S. And so, uh, we're, we're trying to create some history from that standpoint. And the, the crowds in Charlotte, North Carolina will be massive. If you've ever watched the Wells Fargo or if you've ever watched NFL or NBA games or NASCAR events in Charlotte, North Carolina, it's a huge, sporting city, college and professional. And so there'll, there'll be uh, great fan support for the American team. We'll have to find a way to deal with that as well. But, uh, you know, I, I like where where our squad is right now. Like I said, we have a bunch of youngsters, um, the Neemans of the world, the Sung JMs Im's of the world, Higo, um, so many youngsters that really are uh, coming on strong. And then we start to blend in uh, the more experienced guys like Louis and Adeke and Leishman and Cam Smith is another youngster. And all of a sudden you can get to 12 that really look pretty good. Now, does it look as strong on paper as the American team does? It probably never will. And, you know, the European team doesn't either at the Ryder Cup, but they seem to find a way. And so we draw a lot of experience from that as well. I've spent um, a, a bunch of time with, with Harrington and Beyond and McGinley uh, picking their brain, trying to understand how they uh, do it for the European Ryder Cup team and uh, try to, you know, fast track our process, so to speak. But we feel like we're on a nice path. Um, Ernie did an amazing job creating a logo for us and some, some team colors and chemistry could be uh built upon from that and so yeah you know we're, we're doing our thing slowly but surely and uh you know we'll be ready when the time comes and uh hopefully hopefully we can cause a little upset and, and that'll uh spark some energy into the event uh, event for years to come
1: yeah i don't doubt it's uh last one from me is uh can we expect you and the international team to all uh take on the spirit of Cameron Smith and grow (laughs) mullets. Listen, if I could grow enough
2: hair, I absolutely would. But, uh, you know, I seem to be a little challenged in that department. But, uh, yeah, he's a beauty. And, uh, you know, he and Louis, uh, just to give you guys a a little uh, inside the locker room, he and Louis really are um, the, the two guys in the locker room that really bring a lot of that spirit there. They are outgoing, they are funny, they are, you know, self-depreciating at certain times, they don't mind making fun of themselves, they don't mind dressing up and, uh, you know, doing stuff like we saw what what Cam did with his hair now at the Olympics. And so, yeah, those those are two guys that really do bring a lot of laughs in the locker room. And so that'll be an, an important aspect for us. Uh, to just, uh, number one, bring us together as a team and number two, also just to relax things and calm things down as that week progresses and, and the pressure starts to ratchet up. So, uh, so yeah, but maybe, uh, maybe we should work on that. All the guys that have enough hair should work on that mullet. But uh, one thing's for sure is that Cam will be doing something silly and interesting like that. That's right in his wheelhouse. He absolutely loves it. He's just one of those guys that wants people to have a laugh. He doesn't take himself seriously at all. So he's uh, he's an absolute beauty.
0: Yeah, one of the things that certainly stood out for me, Trevor, during the recent Open Championship was the commentary from Thomas Bjorn. And South Africans know it, but I actually quoted Thomas on Twitter, and it got... A massive response uh, from people all mm. over the world. And and Thomas was speaking about Louis, and it was going into the final day, and just about as he was about to tee off, of course, the, the crowd was all screaming his name. And he said, yeah, make no mistake, Louis is very, very popular uh, amongst the crowd. But there's one place he's even more popular, and that's in the dressing room, because he is yep. such a lovable and likable guy. All the players want to be around him.
2: 100% accurate. And, uh, you know, it's not just it's him. him, it's his wife as well. Nell Marie is just uh, fantastic. Uh, and the two of them bring such a beautiful energy um, to, to the team room. Uh, just calm and relaxed, just as, as we would know him as South Africans, but extremely funny and up to have a good time and uh, just great people to be around. I mean, he, he is absolutely going to be a massive part of our team on and off the golf course uh, with with not only just how great of a player he is, but the experience he has of playing in President's Cups, winning uh, and competing at the highest level in majors, but then also uh, in the locker room with, with the ability to diffuse a situation and relax things. Uh, he really has such a magnificent way about him that is extremely valuable to, to the team room. And, uh, you know, so now as a player, it works uh, very well for us. But he down the line will be uh, an incredible captain as well.
0: And uh, just wrapping up from me, I know I spoke about Thomas Bjorn, and, and we've seen it plenty where across the sporting world where former players try their hand at commentary, and, and sometimes it works, and, and more often than not, it actually doesn't. You, I, mm. ever have, have taken to it like a duck to water, and... Uh, I mean, the comments that I've received regarding your commentary has uh, been always extremely positive, uh, rave reviews. Uh, You've settled in very, very nicely. How how are you enjoying it?
2: I do enjoy it. I love it, in fact. I I must say that I get the same feeling, the same uh, excitement as when I used to compete. And so that is interesting. In a a way, it... um, it gives me that same adrenaline rush that I used to get right before tee off or, uh, you know, when you're trying to fight to make the cut or fight to win a tournament. I get that same rush out of it, being a part of a big broadcast in big moments uh, in a sport that I love. And uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Look, I've always been fascinated by athletes at the highest level, um, how they're able to compete uh, with Uh, such dedication and grace and determination and you know all those little pieces of the puzzle that you need in order to succeed Um, and I I also feel like I have an appreciation for the other side of the coin which is struggling um, and, and, and having to fight through tough times and that is also a huge part of sport. In fact, you know, we could argue that it's a bigger part of sport because there's, there's always somebody losing. And in, and in golf, there's more losers than what there are winners. In, in a field of 156, only one person winning. So I have an appreciation for that as well the difficulty of it and the disappointment of it, of struggle. And so my goal is always to try and, and find a, a way to, you know, put, put some words to that and add to the picture somehow rather than saying something obvious that anybody, uh, who's watching can already see on the screen. Uh, you know, at times you can't, and you're in a panic and you don't, don't quite get it done or you just can't find the words at the moment. And, uh, you learn from that and try and move on. But yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, and, and hope to be able to do it for a long time. Uh, I just, the, the game is, has been so good to me, uh, and, and uh, I'm thankful for that. And the fact that I now can transition into another aspect of being a part of the game that I love and learn something totally new um, is is also something that's exciting. It's the one thing I learned about myself is that um, the, the, the the climb or the process or the 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 honing of your skill is actually the part that I really do enjoy the most, and that's one of the reasons why uh, doing the TV has been so great for me because it's it's been something that I knew nothing about that in my late thirties all of a sudden I had to start to try and figure out uh, and and that is something that I've I've really enjoyed that process so yeah I mean we'll we'll see where it takes me uh, forty one years old now. And uh, you know, hopefully, uh, I can do it for a long time to
1: come. Trev, so we we ask all our guests this, and this will be my last one because I know you have to bounce. Uh your dream four ball. If you could go play around of golf with uh, any four ball now, so three other people, obviously people that we would all know. Um, so you can't just say your your son, your daughter, and your wife. Um, mm. Yeah, who who would make that that dream four ball for you? And on what course? Well,
2: wow. I mean, there, there's so there's so many choices. It's a it's a really tough one because you yeah you know you could go from Nelson Mandela to Winston Churchill. You could go all over the map to mus- musicians and and uh, actors and actresses, athletes. I'll, you know, I'll I'll just stick to golfers for now on the on, on this occasion. Um, I, I would I would throw my son in there because, like I said to you, he he's a he's a good little golfer and he. Uh, really appreciates the history of the game and understands uh, what it takes to achieve at the highest level. So I'd throw him in there just so that he could experience uh, that moment as well. I would I would go with Tiger Woods um, and I would probably go with Ben Hogan. And I just think that would be so incredible. Even just to hear the conversations between Tiger Woods and Ben Hogan would be something that I'd be up for. <laughs> it's
1: it's incredible how many people uh, pick Ben Hogan in their football.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's so much mystique to how he played the game and people telling stories, whether they're true or not, about, you know, playing 36 holes in the US Open in one day and, you know, hitting it into his same divot in the fairway and stuff like that and, and hearing stories about the great control that he had with the golf ball with absolutely inferior equipment to what we use now. Uh, I would just, I need to see that with my own eyes. That would be just so fascinating. And then I have such a good understanding of Tiger's greatness, having played with him a lot, practiced with him a lot, been around him a lot. Uh, The guy is a, a total phenom. And so to be able to observe he and Hogan discussing a sport where they are geniuses uh, or a realm in which they are geniuses would be a lot of fun for me. So that's why I would want my son to tag along too because, you know, as anybody who has kids know, your kids don't always want to listen to you, but they'll listen to other people. So maybe he'll he'll pay some attention to the tips that they give him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And did we cover the course? What course will you be playing
2: on? Well, it would be two courses for me. It would either be Augusta National or the old course those are Those are two that have really stood out uh, to me throughout my uh, throughout my career for obvious reasons and if you know if it were a South African course, I would actually probably throw Leopard Creek in there because it would be <laughs> such a cool experience. <laughs> with the wildlife and and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So that, that would be cool too.
1: That, that's actually my profile picture on Zoom. That's me sitting outside the Leopard Creek uh, clubhouse. Oh, and I it. played in November last year. I
2: see it. I've had, I've had a few drinks in that clubhouse before. <laughs> it's a wonderful place.
1: <laughs> Trevor, it's been
0: so, so good having you on the show. I know we overran a little bit. So best of luck at the doctor. And man, we enjoyed that hour. Thank you.
2: Sweet. Thanks so much, boys. Have a good one. Eh? Keep up the good work. Thank
0: you so much. Thanks, Trif. Cheers, Trev. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, it's Michael Campbell here listening to Raider Golf with Ty and Derek. Welcome back to the show. Now, from a South African doing wonders based overseas, we go more local to a South African doing exceptionally well closer to home, particularly Yeah, in Johannesburg, he's been on the show before, Uh, he certainly is a massive friend of uh, Raider Golf, but uh, Chris Bentley, it wasn't too long ago, a couple of days ago in fact, where I got the press release saying the national winner of the 2021 PGA Management Award, I'm honoured to be recognised by my esteemed peers at the PGA, and uh, buying this award to the incredible teams of staff at Royal Johannesburg and Kensington Golf Club, he is the GM of royal johannesburg and kensington as announced named the 2021 pga management award winner chris welcome once again to the show and uh congratulations on the award tell us a bit more about it you must be exceptionally stoked
3: hey derek ty yeah thanks for having me on the show again uh yeah absolutely honored with this award by my peers um you know these are these are guys that I work with. They are competitors, and I'm not. I'm not sure there's a better award. Um, so absolutely humbled and yeah, very chuffed.
0: Yeah, I, I can completely understand why. Tell us a bit more about what the award entails, and yeah, I can imagine a lot of hard work goes into being able to capture something like this. Of course, you don't do what you do to to earn this award, but it is nice to be recognised.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's 160 odd full PGA members that go through the voting process. And it starts with the nominations. Um, So you need your peers to nominate you. That's followed by the regional winners and the regional winners then onto the national winners. And from there, we go on to a awards ceremony with the PGA, which we are blessed to hold here at Royal Johannesburg and Kensington Golf Club. And the overall PGA winner of the year is announced and that's on the 20th of September. And uh, yeah, there's five of us in the management category, grow golf category, um, um, et cetera. And so uh, we'll see what happens on the 20th. But uh, right now, just overwhelmed with uh, all the wonderful feedback and, and great support that I've received for the Management Award.
1: Yeah, Chris, congratulations. And uh, yeah, I mean, obviously awards are not a, a foreign um, a foreign entity to a – golf club as prestigious as royal johannesburg i mean it's a special golf course i I played the west course not too long ago um i played a lot of the west course (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you know it's it's chris obviously one of the challenges that comes with having two courses is exactly that it's twice as much work to to keep it in as good quality
3: yeah absolutely i mean You know, it is a big facility here at Royal. Um, But you know, when I made the change from Serengeti to Royal, going from twenty-seven holes to thirty-six holes, once you're in the operations and you've got the the standard operating procedures in place, you know, it's 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 pretty much um, the same. To be honest, obviously, there's a lot more staff and a lot more equipment and a lot more things to to oversee. But at the end of the day. You know, I, as I said in that quote, um, you know, I bind this award to the incredible teams of people around me and the people that we've got here at Royal, um, we've kind of, you know, become a, a family and we all, you know, kind of threaded together in the same fabric. Um, we've got the same vision, the same mission. We want to make people happy. And so whether we're running um, 18 holes, 36 holes or 54 holes, I believe we can get the job done. And uh, we understand what our purpose is on a day-to-day basis. And that's to make people happy.
1: Well, uh, that's exactly what you do. I mean, a little bit of anxiety as well, but um, yeah, obviously you've got the best in the West, the, the beast in the East. Uh, you know, I know asking you to pick your favorite is like asking a parent to pick their favorite child, but Derek, Derek tells us all the time who his favorite child is. So, you know, <laughs> which one tugs at the heartstrings a little bit more? Is it East or West?
3: um look i love both facilities um but i have to say the east course um you know we we renovated the east course in 2017 um i was fortunate to project manage that process and so having been through that renovation and bringing it to life to the facility that you see today um it's it's pretty close to my heart and you know every time i I play around a golf then i get up on that six tee box and just look down and i remember you Know the, the going through the, the hard days of construction and uh serious conversations with our architects and all the guys on the ground, uh, what it's turned out to be. So, I think just because of the amount of effort we've put in there, um, and, and the awards that that golf course has won, it sits pretty close to my heart. But in saying that, uh, next year we are planning to renovate the west course, so that might change.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the East because it's at the East that Derek and I have spoken. I um, have uh, spoken with uh, about it a few times. In that I got to play Leopard Creek in November last year. I got to play Leopard Creek by uh, coming in the top four at a qualifier on Royal Johannesburg East. So it was uh, it's a very special course for myself as well. Um, and it really is, you know, we, we are spoilt here in Joburg. I mean, you mentioned moving from Serengeti to Royal Johannesburg. I mean, we have world-class facilities and world-class golf courses. And, uh, you know, Royal Joburg East is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best challenges you can get anywhere in Gauteng.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in summer, uh, I don't think you can beat Joburg Golf in summer. And one of the amazing parts about golf in Joburg is that we don't really have the most sensational backdrops, but if you look at the golf course at face value, I mean, there's very little out there that that competes with golf courses like we have in South Africa. Um, if you take a golf course like Royal or St Francis links or Leopard Creek or Fancourt and you pick those up and move them anywhere in Europe, none of us would ever have enough ammo to walk through the door. Um, and so I think that says a lot about our facilities and how privileged we are that they are accessible to the public.
0: Tell you what, Chris, thank you very much. You you spoiled us a couple of days ago. Myself and Henk went out and played around on the East Course. It was my second time experiencing it, and uh, we had an eight o'clock tee off. And it's rather chilly these days in, in Johannesburg. It doesn't scare me. I, I thoroughly enjoyed playing out in the cold. Thankfully, that it scared a few others away. So it felt as if we had the entire course to ourselves. Uh, I think it was only around 10 o'clock that I actually saw other people out uh, playing. And, and it was the most magnificent experience. You know, the, the first time I played it, a bit under pressure, playing this prestigious course. I was playing rubbish and, and, yeah, it kind of flew by. This time around, we really got to experience it, probably because we took a couple of mullies uh, along the way too. So, uh, <laughs> and, and, and something struck me and I didn't realize because I read about it only afterwards. And the, the signature hole being the 11th, but... I love the fact that the 10th and 11th back-to-back par 4s combined uh, make it uh, arguably two of the longest back-to-back par 4s in the world.
3: Yeah, up until a couple of years ago, they were the longest back-to-back par 4s in the world. I think that has changed recently with a lot of the new courses popping up in Europe and America. Um, But yeah, two seriously long holes. And I can assure you that we take quite a beating from uh, members who we allocate to T10 first thing on a winter's morning. Um, but yeah, the guys, once they get, once you get past uh, 10 and 11, you can finally get your round going.
0: No, I absolutely loved it. Uh, look, it, it also took me a while to get going, even though I teed off on the first, uh, it doesn't matter where I would have teed off. I still <laughs> would have struggled regardless of the time, but something else that I read about it and, and, and something that's fascinated me. I've tried to find out a bit more because uh, it was it in, in 1998 you merged uh, with Kensington to become Royal Johannesburg in Kensington. However, Kensington uh, fell away uh, decades earlier. And, and what does the Kensington bring to the party? I love the name. Just try to to do, work out the combination.
3: Yeah, so Kensington Golf Club was um, based just around the corner from, from Bruma. And um, they were a really successful golf club with a a, a really long waiting list. And all had two courses and wonderful facilities. And, you know, the committees at the time, they got together and said, look, you know, we've got lots of members. You've got little members, but you've got this amazing facility. Why don't we get together and and merge the two? And so, in 1998, the committees finally got it done and they merged. And from a uh, economies of scale perspective and bringing this new element of culture into, into Royal, I mean, it's been an unbelievable success story. I think, I think it's, um, it, it's the type of thing a lot of golf clubs should be looking at in the future because, you know, alone, some clubs are struggling, but together they could be absolutely exceptional.
1: Chris, uh, obviously, as a a sensational golf course, you also host some great uh, competitions. And, and Rui, what is, what is the uh, creme de la creme of competitions that uh, Royal has hosted?
3: Well, sure. I mean, Royal's hosted uh, serious competitions in the past, um, namely nine South African Opens, um, 12 Joburg Opens, and uh, numerous other co-sanctioned events and Sunshine Tour events. Um, but in recent years we've we've moved our focus to support amateur golf um, obviously the club is is known as the home of golf in South Africa having all the associations based here um, but we've been proud to host the SA amateur championships um, might I say the combined SA amateur championships men and women um, who play simultaneously across both golf courses and it's been it's been an amazing event to to put together, myself and Grant Hepburn came up with the idea about three years ago. And the interesting part about it is that we've done it on a commercial model, which is um, probably one of the first of its kind for an amateur golf tournament. And it's been the most amazing success, particularly year one, which was uh, pre-pandemic. Um, but we also managed to host this year in March. And um, yeah, it's, it's just fantastic seeing men and women come together together. And uh, play on a commercial basis. Your favorite hole on the course, Chris? Uh, I've mentioned it uh, before. It has to be number six um, on the East Course. You know, when I when I stand up there, I just look at it and it it just sits so pretty. Um, uh, it suits my eye when I'm playing. Um, but yeah, I just I love the backdrop, and I love the way that the bunkers sit and look at you. So for me, it's it's hole number six on the East.
0: And Chris, uh, I know that you've traveled a fair amount and you've got to experience courses around the world. Uh, you've spoken to me uh, plenty about the wonders of Augusta. And uh, earlier in the show, we actually chatted to Trevor a uh, former Masters winner who, who obviously shared your sentiments. And <laughs> I'm sure there must be elements of courses where you've wanted to, to bring in to... Uh, the prestigious Royal Johannesburg in Kensington. What has opened your eyes uh, since taking over the role of GM at at, uh, Royal Joburg?
3: Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, there's numerous things, but from a a golf course perspective, I'm a big Parkland guy and uh, nothing has inspired me more than visiting um, Augusta National for the Masters. And so when we were doing the construction in 2017, we had a lot of um, in-between areas in between the holes, which, which you just, you couldn't grow any grass under. And we also wanted it to be as reasonably playable for the members as possible. So we implemented, uh, these huge bark trip tree lines and it's been such a success. I mean, you can play off it. It looks aesthetically pleasing and it's reasonably easy to maintain. So that's one of the things which I've taken away, you know, obviously Augusta has the pine the straw but we converted it to the Bark chip, And I think um, it's quite unique to Royal now. I don't know many other courses in South Africa that do the Bark chip.
0: The other thing that I absolutely love about it is the Walk of Fame. As you enter Royal Johannesburg and Kensington, you, you walk along that, uh, that pathway leading up to the front doors and you just have these stars beneath your feet of names that have, have walked the courses, that have played the courses and most prominently have won the courses.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the one thing that money can't buy is, is history, tradition, and, uh, you know, the beautiful trees and all that kind of thing that we've got here. Um, you know, the club's in its 130th year now. And we really want to unpack that, and we want to put every single um, photo on the wall that we can. And your experience at Royal starts before you even walk through the door of the clubhouse, you know. So you drop your bag off. And immediately, I think when you walk down that walkway, you can feel the, the history and walk in the footsteps of champions.
0: Yeah, that certainly does capture my attention and, and everyone there, too. I remember the first time I played there, we played the best of the West and uh, we had some players, friends of ours from out of town. And that's exactly what struck them. They just said, you know, you're in the presence of, of greatness uh, in terms of the players that have walked the courses and, and as I said, have, have won on them, too. So congratulations on doing a sterling job in, uh, yeah, being the home of golf in, in South Africa. It really is a sensational place. Uh, a little word on the members and for anyone out there who, who wants to become a member.
3: Um, I think firstly, just thanks for all the support, guys. And um, yeah, I mean, absolutely privileged to do what I do at Royal. And uh, in my opinion, we're the most exciting golf club in the country. We We might have the history and tradition, but we also trying to lead the way in innovation and uh memberships growing rapidly we we're leveraging every opportunity around the supply and demand of golf at the moment and uh yeah get in touch come experience roll if you haven't um we look forward to welp- welcoming you and uh putting on a good show and and uh yeah just uh having a good time ah oh, absolute pleasure thank you chris for, for all you're doing.
0: On the, for the golfing community, for the golfing world with regard to the course and also with regards to the management side of things as is proven by the award that you won. And uh, we wish you all the best uh, in the near future as you go into to bigger and better things in terms of awards, not in terms of clubs because you really are at a sensational place doing a, a superb job. So yeah, you have it. If you haven't played it, I'll tell you what, you have to go and play royal johannesburg and uh, chris i'm gonna put you on the spot my apologies we always do this uh, with uh, our courses of the episode any chance we can give away a, a freebie to to a lucky listener
3: with absolute pleasure go for it four ball on the east course oh. and uh we would love to host you oh magnificent uh, i tell you what uh,
0: you will not be sorry the beast of the east and it takes some taming I'm uh, here to do that, unfortunately. Uh, Chris, uh, we've lost time. Fortunately, I had to run off. But uh, I'll tell you what, you can wrap up the show with me. It uh, concludes another episode of Raider Golf. We featured the brilliant Trevor Immelman. What a guest. And now the superb Chris Bentley, who's in charge of uh, one of the greatest courses in South Africa, if not the world.
3: Chris, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see you out on the east or west. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers.